AVXL episode 197 was recorded on March 1st, 2023. Make your vintage console games look good on a high-def TV. Spotify gets AI. Big changes for next-gen Sonos gear. We got the 2023 LG OLED TV release dates and prices. Cambridge Audio's got some streamers. ELAC has seven new subwoofers. Is that Macintosh or Macintosh? And quite a bit more. Don't forget to email ask at avxl.com if you got a question for us. And thank you. Seriously, thank you. Thank you to everyone that supports us at patreon.com slash avxl. Your monthly contributions make this show possible. Testing one, two, three. All right. I'm not blowing anything out. Ignorant weasels chewing on your soul. Ignorant weasels. Do you have speed? Yeah. Welcome to AVXL, your guide to the best in home video and audio gear, no matter what your budget is. I'm Patrick Norton. Hey, I am Robert Heron. I have been highly amused. A couple of amps were announced. I tweeted about this, but uh, our friends at Shit announced a couple of small amplifiers, like desktop amplifiers, like literally like on your desk, you know, in your workspace kind of desktop amplifiers, or, you know, amplifiers for places where you don't need 300 million watts. Um, and, uh, the wrecker at $149 and the, I hope I get this right, Gallerhorn, uh, and that one's $299. The wrecker is tiny. Um, it's got a really interesting heatsink design and cut out on that. It's $149 and it is, brace yourself, two watts RMS per channel into eight ohms, three watts RMS per channel into four ohms. You can run it mono to get a fat four watts RMS. Are these for headphones? These are actually uh, for speakers. Oh, okay. Do you remember those tectons we used to listen to in the uh, in the warehouse? Yeah. Those are like 91, 93 dB efficient. Right. So with one watt, you can get to ear damaging levels. It didn't take you much. Know, to double that takes a lot more wattage. But So in this case, if you, you have a fairly efficient speaker on your desktop, these would be really cool. Something I really like uh, that they're doing at Shit Now, which I haven't seen before, and maybe they there's some product launches I missed, but they're giving you an audio precision report. So, you know, they're running a, a AP555 against these, and they give you an idea of how clean the audio is. Because, you know, Shit got into some battles not too long ago, not too far back, maybe a while back, couple years ago, uh, where people felt the performance as tested wasn't justifying the price, uh, but they actually went out and they got themselves some test equipment, and the numbers are really impressive in terms of, you know, noise levels and all sorts of other things if you want to nerd out on that. So props to shit for putting that out there. And That's uh, cool. the other one, the Gallerhorn... And uh, is $299. It is uh, 10 watts into 8 ohms, 15 watts into 4 ohms. And if you buy a second amp, you can do a whopping 30 watts into 8 ohms. And it's funny because I had a friend of mine who was freaking out. And uh, I realized, like, I can probably hit 2 watts off my headphone amplifier. So I've, I've cobbled together a uh, cable. I'm going to test it on those tectons to see how loud uh, it can get. Something to remember is for years and years and years and years and years, we didn't have, you know, 100, 200 watt amplifiers. Nobody really thought about that was considered a massive amount of power you would use in a consumer or a, a, not a consumer, in a, like a dance hall at a concert. I think it's like the CXA25. Oh, there it is. The AXA25. That's a small integrated amplifier from Cambridge Audio. That is 
inexpensive. I think it's the MSRP in that is 300 bucks. It's 25 watts per channel. It's got bass and treble and balance. It's kind of old school in that way. And feel free to mock me when I say old school when adjusting audio because, you know, I'm always looking for that perfect signal path from the DAC through the amplifier and just the minimal volume control. But uh, you feel free to mock me all I want. But, you know, that's a that's a pretty sweet deal. And you can do a lot with 25 watts per channel. So something to think about. Cambridge Audio shit, some nice entry-level audio products, and some fun, if that's fun for you. <laughs> yes. I missed my fuller. I kind of missed that interface and just having that, that wonderful knob. I've since gone to a – that was for headphone amplification for uh, the headphones that I use in my workstation. So that was a fantastic product. It didn't last as long as I wanted it to, unfortunately. Yeah, that was a bummer. Yeah. I will say Wonderful Knob is my new band name. Ah. <laughs> I don't blame you. I don't blame you at Look all. Look for it on Bandcamp. Yeah. Oh, man. So 2023 LG OLED TV release dates and prices. We got the most of the information on the shiny next generation televisions at CES. But this is the actual, can you afford it, and when will, how long do you have to save? <laughs> yeah, no no major surprises, really. Uh, LG, a couple days ago, or I think the day before yesterday, actually, they put out the press release with the pricing information and availability for their 2023 TVs. And that includes the Gallery Edition OLED Evo panels. Uh, the G3 in particular will be the flagship for their 4K panels and those are arriving this month march 2023 doesn't say exactly when but you could think of probably within the next couple weeks for sure they'll start popping up in in the retail channels that will be the panel that features lg's mla technology the the micro lens array technology that improves not only the brightness of the panel but also apparently off-axis viewing performance and i am really looking forward to seeing those be put to the test so to speak compared specifically to Samsung's new S95C, their second generation QD OLED television, which is, well, it's available now if you go to the Samsung website, but it's only available in the 77 inch size for a cool $4,500. Anyway, if you are in the mood for one of these MLA enhanced LG OLED Evo televisions, keep in mind that that MLA tech is only available in the 55, the 65, and the 77-inch screen sizes. Anything smaller or larger is not going to feature that, at least in the current lineup. Maybe by the end of the year that will change, but we'll see. Uh, at least for this initial launch, it's just those three sizes, and you can go from there. Pricing looks fairly comparable to where it was last year, if anything. I'm not seeing a huge difference in what, what the MSRP was, at least. But as we all know, I actually just looked up, like I say, a 65-inch a C2 from 2022 is currently under $1,500. And if I'm looking right now at the MSRP for the C3 coming up in March, or later this month, uh, $2,500. So literally $1,000 less. So if you absolutely needed a C-series panel, at least right now, uh, in the, especially that 65-inch size, that $1,500 price point is just pretty amazing to me. Uh, I think about other TVs I have purchased in the past at about that price point and, or, for, <laughs> or for more. And what you get nowadays for that is pretty wonderful. And I'm looking forward to it for sure, for sure. Televisions and projectors are like subwoofers. You can buy one that's 10 years old, but you're generally 
not going to be happy compared to what you can buy today. <laughs> True. Hey, one other funny thing, too, is that they actually listed within this price list that LG put out uh, their 65-inch R-series, that rollable that comes up out of a cabinet. Hundred grand for that sixty-five inch TV. Apparently, those are that's, that's down like ten grand, right? Bespoke, <laughs> handcrafted <laughs> by the gnomes in Korea, and still, you know, it is an impressive looking box, but that's a crazy price tag for a sixty-five inch screen. Anywho, how much does a McLaren cost? Mm, I don't know. How Actually, much does a loft on you know, the Upper East Side cost that that LG OLED R is actually cheaper than a fully loaded like s series or x series uh tesla <laughs> so there you go well, there you have it <laughs> oh, pick my and choose <laughs> and they also mentioned too they had their uh lifestyle tvs like the pose and the flex and i thought some i don't know some of those are pretty interesting the lg pose for example is it pose or pose that's a good question i I like the way that TV looks design-wise. It has that beautiful base stand, uh, yeah. the four legs effectively that hold it up, and then on the back of it, it has you can basically put magazines or there's a little tray, so to speak, on the back of that screen. One thing is different, and I'm not sure if it's new or not, but and these are available right now, is they have a 55 and a 48-inch version of that. I recall it being just 55 inches not too long ago, so... I'm not sure if the 48 inch is considered new or not, but if you're looking for something a little more artful, a little more stylish for a room, right. that is definitely a set to consider. It looks good from just about every angle. Uh, so if it's going to be like in the middle of a room and people are going to walk around it, that is one to consider if the screen size fits your... They have some beauty. I mean, the the it's very much... They're they're rocking the lifestyle photography. It looks like a It looks like an architectural magazine. It looks like shots out of Dwell or something. It's a fine-looking design. To me, it's eye-catching. It's appealing. It's definitely exp more expensive than, say, an equivalent C-series panel. But uh, if, you, if you need that design specifically and you like that stand... Fabric finish. I oh. will say I dig the fabric finish. Yeah. There's a lot to it. Pose goes beyond the TV to become part of your style and your space. The beautiful mm -hmm. back view looks stunning from different angles, and you can personalize the media shelf to show off your favorite books, magazines, and postcards. Okay, that's kind of it's. It's actually interesting, right? If you've ever seen, if you've ever seen a television in somebody's room, and you walk up, you know, and the television is facing like the hallway or something, and you have that, you know, big terrible view of the back of a television. Right. I mean, if you're into the back of a television, I don't want to disrespect you, but um, it's slick, actually. Yep. I have been in environments where people put the TV in the middle of the room on on usually right. a, some kind of a stand that will support that that installation style and it's nice having a clean back look to it and where it doesn't just you know stand out with a bunch of you know ports and crap this at least has a nice i, I don't know what to call it like a shelf or a caddy that's on the back of it yeah. that you can you can put stuff in <laughs> that's the magazine rack you mentioned yeah. yes pretty cool oh my goodness um shifting gears Something I don't get to say very often. I think I've only said it a handful of times in the, Lord, 20-odd years we've known each other. One of Rob's dreams, at least one of Rob's dreams for Sonos, appears to be coming true. Maybe. Dun, 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 dun. 
Okay, so The Verge has obtained marketing images to back up info from, quote, several people familiar with Sonos's plants and product roadmap. We're talking shiny leaks here. Bluetooth streaming, USB-C line in jacks, TruePlay mics built in. Apparently, the, the USB-C jack is going to support an analog line input adapter that's going to sell separately, which in theory should or could solve the mediocre analog input we've seen. Uh, when you look at the performance, like the measured cyanide or, or sort of how clean the channel is the digital through for example the sonos amp crushes the quality of the input coming in over that analog jack on the back of that so we'll see how that goes what speakers are we talking about the era 100 that's going to replace the sonos one and they're going to bump the price from 220 to 250 dollars uh, they're going to add a second tweeter for quote true stereo sound uh, I, I will be the judge of that. I think pairing two Sonos ones is one of the great audio experiences you can have. Uh, and it's, you know, it's really affordable and they are adding a bigger midwoofer in the era 100, which is always a positive thing in my world. Um, very cool. The era 300, uh, that's going to sell for $450 has a spatial audio focus, i.e. they want to do the Dolby Atmos music, most likely coming from Amazon music. It is not likely the verge says to support Dolby Atmos from Apple music, but they've got six drivers, uh, forward, left, right, and up Atmos theater, uh, is definitely something this will be good with with the arc or the gen 2 beam using those up firing or up forward facing speakers uh, there is no up firing in the air 100 so if you want the up firing atmos experience from those rear channels you're going to be looking at the 450 dollars a corner on that one Ooh, i currently use a pair of sonos ones for my yeah. rear surrounds with an arc setup and the era 300s do sound like that would be a nice upgrade if i were redoing the whole thing today i would seriously consider that and i believe that's a little cheaper than it would be say if you were considering something like an ultra premium sono setup using something like the fives with an arc and a subwoofer and things like that well the fives i mean the thing is the fives don't have the up firing speakers right. do they Right. So if you want those rear atmos, I, I look. I'm I'm delighted to see rear atmos channels coming out. I don't know if I want to pay nine hundred dollars for a pair of them, but uh, some nice upgrades. Uh, Wi-Fi six, Bluetooth five point Bluetooth, Bluetooth streaming, Bluetooth to your Sonos, Rob. I'm Sorry, telling you, we've talked about that a lot. Uh, support for AirPlay two. Uh, apparently, they're going to drop the onboard Ethernet, uh, which may also be available by USB C adapter. These are supposed to ship in late March. Um, do me a favor, go over to The Verge, read an article there uh, to thank them for uncovering this stuff. We'll have a link in the show notes. By the way, the uh, IKEA Symphonics, they are recycling all of the pictures for those. So if you missed the pictures that were available, the Klimt art and the Mona Lisa, they now have black and white uh, you know, African safari type animal portraits. I think there's a giraffe and a cheetah. Um, but those are really slick um, and they measure uh, pretty well. Um, those were actually uh, 65 bucks off. There's a, a rather large pile of stuff on sale at the Sonos uh, department at Ikea or the Symphonics department at Ikea. One quick point about their TruePlay tuning, at least according to the Verge article, for the Era 100 and Era 300, if all of this information is correct, is that that TruePlay tuning feature that's built in using the microphones in the speakers is effectively a, a quick and dirty feature for Android users. But you would still need an iOS device if you want the full-featured or quote-unquote advanced TruePlay tuning, which currently exists in most of their speakers, except for some of their the good uh, stuff. Yeah. And, you know, I keep bugging them to 
one day please create a, a standalone device for doing true play tuning. But right. in essence, that standalone device already exists and it's simply an iOS device. And if you can find an affordable use device or <laughs> or the cheapest, you know, iPad mini or, or what have you, or have ha, find a friend with an iPhone and convince them to There's load a up the app. in your neighborhood that'll load the app for 20 bucks and very quietly tiptoe around your room. Totally. It, it can make a nice <laughs> difference. And it's nice just to have that enabled because you can toggle it on and off to see how effective or not it is. You don't have to, once it's done, you don't have to leave it enabled. You can actually toggle it off if you don't think it, if it worked right or you want to just A, right. B it real quick. It's a nice feature to have for sure. No doubt. Uh, Something crazy come from Spotify, the AI DJ in your pocket. Actually, I would have called this crazy except for going through the insane chat GPT Bing search debacle uh, that's been flowing through my news feeds uh, the last couple of weeks. But Spotify says they're going to do curated music with, quote, AI-powered commentary about tracks and artists. So... The DJ, quoting again, is a personalized AI guide that knows you and your music taste so well that it can choose what to play for you. Um, so what's kind of crazy about this is Spotify's recommendations have always, in my experience, been vastly better than any other streaming platform I've used. Um, what's crazy about this is they're doing what they call generative AI. They're using open AI technology. It's basically powered. Uh, the tech behind it is open AI. They say, quote, we put this in the hands of our music editors to provide you with insightful facts about the music, artists, or genres you're listening to. The expertise of our editors is something that's really important to our philosophy at Spotify, i.e. they're saying that we're going to let the music lovers kind of po poke this in the right direction. I'm personally just hoping it's less neurotic than Bing's uh, AI experience <laughs> that some people have had. Hey man, you're listening to some really sad music. I'm sad too. Um, <laughs> the you know, exploits I, for ChatGPT are hilarious. Oh my goodness! And there are several they sites are. out there now that basically you can look up like Jailbreak GPT or ChatGPT huh. exploits. Do a search for that, and you'll see some of the things you can input or say to uh, to basically get the set uh, it off <laughs> to get the to get the machine trained program to go off off the deep end pretty quick <laughs> oh my goodness uh i mean like i said look this spotify's discover weekly has been a mainstay of mine for years it's 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 uncovered a lot of music i've really enjoyed um spotify says that personalization tech uh the open ai generative ai they're using voice uh, tech they acquired in the semantic purchase they made last year uh and what I did not know until I went down a really odd rabbit hole learning about Synantic is Synantic, that AI technology, that AI voice generation technology, is what created Val Kilmer's voice in Top Gun Maverick. That was not Val Kilmer. That was a, a synthetic AI generated voice, which I'm still wrapping my head around. Um, my heart may be a little broken, um, but... <laughs> You know, it's just never going to hear his voice again. Oh, my goodness. Uh, network audio players are all over the place. Uh, Cambridge Audio just came out with the AXN10 and the MXN10. Uh, basically, the AXN is full width. The MXN is half width. Uh, Saber DAC. 
Spotify Connect Title and Cobuzz built in. It's Rune ready, and they have their Stream Magic Gen 4 module. I've never played around with it, but people tend to love it. Uh, it'll do USB playback. They've got a RCA Phono input. Uh, they've got Chromecast, AirPlay 2, and Bluetooth 5 built in. they got Wi-Fi and an Ethernet jack. The idea is that this becomes kind of a one-stop shop for all your inputs. Uh, and then you can run uh, RCA, Phono, digital coax, or optical connectors out. The one thing they're missing, the only thing this is missing, is volume controls. It's designed to be stacked with an uh, integrated amp or a, a preamp and power amp. Uh, ah. Quote, the AXN does not have a preamp mode, and it is not possible to control the volume of the unit as it outputs a fixed volume level. I was kind of bummed about that, because I was like, this needs a volume knob. And they're like, no. Um, but... Uh, you know, it looks sorted. Uh, it looks like a really nice place to send everything if you're looking for a really nice place to send everything. I believe those are shipping now. And uh, the AXN10 is $600, and the MXN10 is a more modest $499. So, and you know, they got Cambridge Audio's aesthetic going on. It's understated. There are a few buttons. And an LED. They keep it simple, which I kind of like on the good days. Um, Praising news from ELAC. Uh, they dropped seven new subwoofers a couple weeks ago. The Premium Series, the Reference Series, and the Dual Reference Series. These are the ELAC Varro subwoofers. Um, they're all using ELAC Subcontrol 3.0 app to do auto EQ tuning, which is kind of fascinating to use. I've, I've, I've used it. I've demoed it. I've used it in separate rooms. It basically does its best to give you all the base given all of the challenges of the room you put it in and the placement you put it in that room. Um, Elex, they basically built their own custom drivers. They got bash amps with, quote, thick MDF cabinets ranging from 30 millimeters on the premium series to 36 millimeters on the dual reference series, which is about an inch and a half, a little under an inch and a half on the big ones, um, with internal cross bracing because stiff is good when you are trying to move large amounts of air. Um, the reference and dual reference are using what they call their hex surround tech. It's a it's a geometry, and uh, to use the fancy language, it's a linear relationship between applied force and resulting displacement in both directions. I.e., it keeps the speaker centered, um, <laughs> like every surround should. Uh, and they did something I don't think I've heard of before, which is an aluminum sandwich woofer. So they have an aluminum cone between, uh, uh, I guess sandwiched with a paper cone and they glue that up and they say it retains the transient benefits of cellulose cones with the torsional rigidity of aluminum so people are always huh. experimenting with drivers and uh they say it says uh, it gives them the ability to do very very long cone throws or x max for better handling of high signal levels and low bass um it's kind of crazy if you ever see the X, the, 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 when subwoofer designers figured out, you know, once you stopped making the subwoofer uh, larger <laughs> in diameter, uh, the next step was to make it go farther in and out. Uh, Got to move that air. One of the reasons why the, the uh, midwoofers and the Sonos uh, devices go so low. So, um, Air X2 wireless receiver is built in, which is cool. The reference adds, uh, uh, speaker cable pass-through inputs. The dual reference adds XLR to that. Uh, the reference and the dual reference, you can control via Ethernet for control systems if you're running Crestron or Control 4 or something like that. Single-tenant sub starts at about $650. Um, 
uh, with a 250 watt amp and by the time you get to the dual sub with a 700 watt amp you're looking at about three thousand dollars the dual reference uh, subs are basically force canceling the radial aligned basically where they have two subs facing out from each other firing in opposite directions uh, the idea is to keep your drink from not falling off the subwoofer or your guest drink. Really curious to see CEA 2010 numbers for this. Um, and like I said before, I've used their auto EQ and I like what it does, but I'd really like to see some CEA 2010 numbers so we can compare these to some of the other big amp, or excuse me, really like to see some CEA 2010 numbers so we can compare them to some of the offerings from the other big subwoofer manufacturers. Speaking of massive subwoofers, Monoprice has a sale going on in their Monolith M215. It's a dual 15-inch THX certified subwoofer. It's like $600 off, which brings it down to $1,900. This is a big, spendy subwoofer. Uh, you know, it's got a THX ultra rating, which means it's more than enough boom for a 3,000 cubic foot room, aka a large theater room. Um, CA2010 is 100 decibels at 12.5 hertz. Um, at 20 hertz, it's 115.9 uh, decibels vented, 112.5 decibels sealed. This thing is a beast. Um, and they got sales running on a bunch of their uh, THX certified speakers, too. So. Ooh, a pair of those would be sweet for a nice uh, large residential or semi commercial setup. <laughs> yeah. I would love that. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Fun to work with. The. Oh, my God. Uh, yes. <laughs> There was nothing wrong with this. There was nothing wrong with this at all. A little out of our normal price range, but something I wanted to give a shout out to because uh, it was so cool. I was, I was on the interwebs. I was on a page. I was look, actually on, on Leon speakers. I was looking for one of their TV frames because a friend of mine was like, "My TV is ugly. I want to make it prettier, like the rest of my house." And Leon speakers, um, it's kind of an installer brand. We've seen their stuff and talked about it at Cedia. Um, they're the ones that do the the hardwood cabinets for your Sono speakers. If you're like you know, I cannot stand the look of this. I want to make it pretty and look like an old-fashioned speaker. They can do that. Um, they have something called the Eclipse Moving Art Lift, which essentially, it's a mount. So you have your television mounted on the wall, uh, and in front of it is a piece of art uh, or a mirror or a panel or whatever. Uh, so the TV is hidden behind it. Um, there's no tracks. There's nothing you see in the wall. There's nothing sliding. There's no. You basically uh, you hit a button or you you know you launch your television or you, you initiate, you know the playback of video on your you know, on your uh, uh, on your control system and uh, either the picture goes up or it splits left and right or it'll go to the left or to the right. But basically, uh, I was just like, that looks so cool because we see people trying to figure out ways to hide their televisions. And a lot of times we've seen furniture that hides it or, you know, people will do all sorts of odd things. This is not cheap. This is an $8,000, uh, well, art lift. <laughs> but I thought it was really slick. Uh, links to that uh, in the show notes. But uh, That is pretty sweet. It was just like, yeah, if, if you have a fancy house and you don't want the big black screen or you don't want to, you know, constantly be playing video or or running one of the art, the frame from uh, from uh, the crew over at uh, Samsung, uh, this is something you can do. Um, if custom linked rails, what... Lutron controls, you could also use yeah. this with something like a mirror or some kind of decorative panel that matches the rest of the room. It doesn't have to be artwork, but it, right. it looks very very customizable and and it can also go vertically up and down or horizontally left yeah. and right or split even where it, like 
kind of like revealing yeah. the TV. <laughs> so yeah, it, it, if if you're trying to sneak a TV into a room and there are issues of doing that, this is one way to conceal it at least when it's not in use. Pretty sweet. I should say sophisticated instead yes. of fancy. Silent operation. Mm, nice. <laughs> Very cool. Handcrafted in the USA as well. So that seem to be nice folks. Um, I got a chance to um, uh, ch- chance to chat with them a couple times at Cedia. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah. Hey, everybody. Uh, patrons are what makes this show possible. Uh, we got to schedule a hangout that will go out today. Uh, it is March 1st when we are recording this. And we want to give a uh, quick shout out to our patrons because, quite frankly, we want to thank you because you make this podcast possible. Uh, Peekaboo321, Anthony Rodriguez Jr., John Bates, Jeremiah Sullivan, Steve B., and Tom B. all started back in September and October of 2017. And we want to thank you for the years of support of AVXL. And if you're kind of curious about what happens with AVXL's Patreon, do yourself a favor, head over to patreon.com slash AVXL or email us, ask at AVXL and say, hey, why should I give you money? And one of us will craft a fine U.S.-made response, unless we're somewhere else. But I don't have a passport, so mine will definitely be in the United States. But I could route it through like a VPN to Japan or something if you want it to seem exotic. Oh, yeah. I love my VPNs. And from our viewers, or listeners in this case, uh, at Double Crossover, a.k.a. Michael Swift tweeted, AVXL, got any tips to connect a bunch of old consoles to my TV? Uh, Many of the simple RCA or HDMI splitters appear to be of low quality and fail too easily. And I hope I don't have to go the full AVR route. That's one nice thing about an AVR is it typically will have a lot of analog inputs as well. But I can understand somebody not wanting to add the the big yeah. black monolithic box to the, the home theater setup. I do understand that. Yeah. And, and it's also whether or not they do a good job. Um, so I started to dig into this. And I was like, okay, we got the $20 ones that are up on Amazon. And they're probably $6 on Alibaba. And then there's some super high-end uh, broadcast stuff. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to call... Uh, my buddy Sebastian Peak over at PCPer.com. Um, he is his 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 hobby is essentially like taking DOS games of a particular era and creating like 386, 486 Pentium class machines so that he can play the game on an appropriate machine for the era in which the game was created. Um, I love him to death. He may be a bigger nerd than I am. Uh, and I say that with love, but I was like, "Hey, have you messed around with uh, like retro tink scalers or the pound HD link cables?" I got a viewer question for a person with mini vintage consoles and an HDMI only TV, uh, and I also said uh, I have to stop saying RCA video when I mean composite video, just because it makes me feel smarter. So Sebastian uh, had thoughts, and as usual, they are deep and detailed. He said, the retro console HD 4K TV rabbit hole runs deep. I have resisted thus far, mostly because I have a dedicated Toshiba 24-inch CRT for those systems, which is a very, very Sebastian thing to have in the house. I love the work Mike has done on retro tink, especially after the legendary FrameMeister upscaler started selling for $600 and up. The 5X Pro is really impressive, but I still haven't plunked down the $300 to buy one. Sebastian says, I want an OSSC that's open source scan converter, and those sell for under $200, which is a significant reduction in cost. Though it looks like new ones are on hold, he says, until Q4 2023, as they have been unable to secure 
field programmable gate arrays for another batch of OSSC at this time. So Sebastian says prices on those are probably going to rise, and that's uh, not surprising because field programmable gate arrays have been difficult for some of the biggest electronics manufacturers in the world to get. Sebastian says the cables are a great alternative, but won't give you those crispy pixels that the kids seem to like so much these days. I hear you. There are options. <laughs> totally. The one thing I'm looking at on the RetroTink website is that everything is out of stock Ooh. and that the person might be experiencing some health issues that might be related to the store being closed for the next several weeks, and it apparently still is. But those those look great for being able to do that conversion to from analog to digital output. I personally have set up a Raspberry Pi. I have a 4, Raspberry Pi 4, if you can actually get your hands on one. That makes for a wonderful portable console that you can fill with whatever game ROMs you want, use your Bluetooth-enabled controllers with it, or figure out other ways of doing it. There's a whole community around that, and you can look up something like Reddit or whoever to get more information if you want to do it yourself that way. I also happen to have an old-school video processor that has all of the analog inputs on the back of it, and it converts everything to... Uh, HDMI. Uh, you can convert it actually to analog or digital, but I use it for HDMI out and I can hook all of the analog devices to it. It was uh, kind of an old school device and I'm actually trying to sell it right now. I have a listing up on Craigslist for locally, if anybody's interested. Uh, it used the HQV video processor, the Terranex, and it was a white box processor that ended up being sold by companies like NEC and others. And it was really for doing something like uh, providing, say, a projector with, right. say you're hooking up DVD and VHS players to your projector, this would be a great way to just modify and enhance that video to make it look as good as possible. But I always keep thinking, it's like, you know what, this would be perfect for game consoles, classic game consoles that have either composite video or component or even S-video. It, it could handle all of those in addition to digital inputs as well. But, hey, if anybody is interested in that... <laughs> interested in my my old school video processor let me know is this your old dvdo no i actually sold that a long time ago and i had a newer one a dvdo green that i was going to get rid of but it was done with that injection molded case that had that that soft rubber on it that just disintegrated mm -hmm. into a disgusting gooey mess Otherwise, I think it worked pretty well. This is more of a standalone video processor sold by the folks from HQV back in the day. And it's built like a tank. It can be rack mounted and it's a steel, brushed steel box that it still works flawlessly. It's All the inputs are there. And I'll put a link to it in the show notes if anybody's curious about what I'm talking about. And you can take a look at the photos I have of it there. That's uh, one thing. If you can't, if you're not interested in finding a Raspberry Pi or or even just a, an old computer, any old laptop, you can do a virtual game console with, supporting all the classic consoles all the way up to about say the PlayStation Two era. If you miss that experience of and you don't have those classic consoles, the information is out there to go ahead and just literally recreate that experience with the ROMs that are available online. It's pretty cool. I have always liked those kind of projects. And to see and to keep that that classic gaming experience still alive and accessible on modern hardware. <laughs> What's really cool, though, is Sebastian actually has that Toshiba 24-inch CRT. That look yeah. that it provides to a console that was made for that kind of screen 
is really the best case scenario. Using something like, in my case, that Raspberry Pi to be able to create that on, say, a modern OLED television, it doesn't quite have the same look. It's almost too clean, and there are filters and things you can enable within these uh, Raspberry Pi-style setups to help make that look a little more like a CRT, but still, yeah. If there's one reason to keep a good old CRT around, it is truly to get the best look from a classic game console. And uh, I totally understand. And I hope I hope the good folks at RetroTink are uh, back in action soon. Wish them the best. Me too. Hey, do me a favor. Show Sebastian some love. Swing by PCPro.com. Read a few things over there. He writes good stuff. So does the rest of the crew. We have known them for a very long time. Um, Alan emailed Ask at AVXL. Patrick. I've been wondering this for a while. Is there an inside joke or particular reason that you mispronounce the name of Macintosh Labs? And uh, I'm afraid to check how I said that in the last episode. Um, But I called a friend of mine that is a Macintosh dealer and has been using their products since uh, I was literally a small child. He said, it actually is Macintosh. I can say that with positivity because I met Frank Macintosh and that's how he introduced himself. Uh, also, they answer the phone that way. I will endeavor mightily to say Macintosh at all times. I might blanch at their prices, but I respect their gear. And uh, I have what my wife and I ref- affectionately refer to as a reader's vocabulary, which means I sounded out a lot of words long before I ever heard anyone say them out loud. And so, for example, uh, bedraggled, I said bedraggled for a long time uh, to well, now, an obscure example of that. <laughs> is it if, now? I'm confused. Is it McDonald's or McDonald's? I'm not going there. <laughs> yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna stop. Oh. It's Mickey D's. It's the Golden Arches. Yes, yes. <laughs> Food I should not the eat. Place with a terrifying burger of doom. <laughs> oh my goodness! The clown that uh, will get you one way or another. <laughs> oh my goodness! Um, Last of Us. I am fascinated. The whole family's been watching that. Uh, so many heartstrings are being yanked in so many directions, but mostly in a positive way, I think. Oh. Can Jam New York <laughs> took place uh, last weekend. I'm still kind of digesting a lot of the writing that came out of it, which seems to be around a lot of panels where people rated headphones. Having heard some of the headphones in question, I'm fascinated, but I'm, I'm going to read up and see kind of what actual new products came out. And uh, we'll talk about next week's show. I plan on being at Expona this year, which uh, is taking place just outside of Chicago and Schaumburg. It's a big audio fest for Chicago, although it is in Schaumburg. That's uh, April 14th, 15th, and 16th. Um, I'll probably head home before Sunday. But uh, let me know if anybody is interested in a hangout, either in Schaumburg or Chi-Town. By the way, uh, so one of the things I got kind of excited about last year was Topping did a fairly inexpensive stereo amplifier, uh, Class D, the PA5. Ridiculous measurements, excellent performance, um, incredibly cheap for, for how it measured, a lot of power. Uh, apparently they are dying, uh, or at least one channel is dying for a significant number of users. Reports say Topping has extended the warranty to two years, and uh, if you contact them, and there's apparently a redesigned model coming out. That's reported on forums. Uh, I haven't seen any notices on their website. Um, the failure seemed to be due, they basically potted or encased a bunch of components inside the amp inside of some sort of epoxy, uh, which is what you typically do to hide things. Because uh, you don't want your competitors to figure out the design, which is kind of silly because it's really easy to reverse engineer things these days. So 
it's kind of a bummer they did that, uh, and it's not so cool, uh, literally, because it seems to be heat that is causing the issues oh. because of the potting over the components. This is all theory. There's, you know, 233-page forum threads on this and, like, Audio and Science Review and other pages, places. But people have actually gone oh, in and, and repaired them by carefully removing the the stuff that's over the set of components and resoldering things that seem to have detached, whether it detached because of their removing the potting substance, the, 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 the epoxy or whatever it is, or because that was causing the problems, but people have been able to repair them and hopefully topping is going to come up with that redesign soon and start shipping those out to people who have had issues. So caveat emptor, if you see one used, uh, and uh, bummer on that one. But, you know, we talk about the good stuff. We should talk about when things go wrong, too. So Totally. Hey, I forgot to mention it earlier, but John Archer over at Forbes has posted the details about Sony's 2023 televisions. Mm-hmm. And I'll be sure to put a link to that in the show notes. There is no pricing info yet. Sony has not released that information. But the size and the specs and the details do await your attention. And uh, Sony's going to have their, of course, LED backlit, their QD OLED technology, borrowing from uh, Samsung Display, and, of course, their flagship mini LED for their LCD televisions as well. And I want to do a little uh, broadcast on YouTube for my Heron Fidelity channel. Nice. I want to do a quick calibration and a test and a checkup of a display I have on hand. And I'll be posting that and live streaming that on the Heron Fidelity YouTube channel, which I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. So if you if you are so inclined, you are welcome to join and uh, and quiz me and watch watch the madness of my uh, live broadcasts. <laughs> I think I'm getting a handle here? getting a handle on OBS Studio. So it's a my handle in OBS Studio is an A10 Mini Pro from Blackmagic. I'm <laughs> telling you, I'm telling you, that's neat software. It's, I, I just did several it. years ago. OBS was just not working for me, so someday I'll try it again. I'm just really fascinated with the ability to do H.265 or HEVC encoding directly, and then send that right to YouTube. Uh, yeah. Although, what the next gen, I guess, will be AV1 direct encodes, and that's probably coming sooner than later. There's a lot of interesting stuff right there to play with, and it's such a neat piece of software. I do dig it. Impression. Yeah. Your friend compression. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. If you got a question or if there's something you want to have us talk about, if there's some area we're not covering that you're curious, you need information, we are here for you. Do us a favor. Email ask at avxl.com or tweet at Robert Heron or at Patrick Norton or at avxl. And uh, again, to all of our patrons, patreon.com slash avxl. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for your contributions we did not charge you this month because we only did uh, one episode in february but we are looking to be back on track and hopefully it's the first couple days of the month when you get this because you never know when meteors or forest fires or electrical mayhem will strike especially in northern california here we get floods and tornadoes hey northern california is terrifying it's getting <laughs> blasted with snow this is good. You'll be able to flush the toilet. And, and we've had a couple of straight days of rain, at least five inches over the last couple of days. And wow. it is most welcome, without a doubt. Seeing some of our reservoirs slowly start to recover a little bit and hopefully enough to uh, keep it all going, so to speak. Drought is difficult. Ooh, it's also Investor Day at Tesla 2023. 
live right now. I might have to actually tune into that and see what they've got on hand coming up for this year. With that, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Patrick Norton. I am Robert Heron. We'll catch next week on AVXL.